Let me start off by saying thank you so much to the elders. With great gratitude, I'm appreciative. Me and my family and I have come down or around, through, and about to be here with you all. And I'm so thankful, all of you all who have opened up your homes, cleared your schedules, to spend time with me and my family, to get to know us. We say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, I just want you to know that it's been a plum pleasing pleasure to be here with you all uh, this weekend. Before I begin, I want to make sure that you all are focused. Your hearts, your minds are open. So I'd like to start off by asking you something very important. It's a question, just want to make sure you all are, are here with me. Do you know who was the first female financer in the Bible? I'll tell you. It was Pharaoh's daughter. She went down to the bank of the Nile and drew out a little profit. Okay. Okay. Just trying to see if you're awake. Some of y'all get that when you get home, but okay. A lot of people are convinced that they are who they need to be. Some are self-righteous, some are stiff-necked, some are, I'm not going to change, that's just who I am. And we meet those types of people from time to time. Maybe some of us was once that person who you couldn't tell anything to. I believe around 20, my britches was too big for my bottom at some point, and you couldn't tell me anything. But the question that I would like to ask you this evening is this. If every member were like me, what kind of church would there be? If every member were like you, and they thought like you, they believed like you, their conversation was like yours, what kind of church would that be? From time to time, each of us need to take a long look, not a small, not a short, but a long look at our lives as Christians and ask ourselves this very thing. How faithful am I to God? How faithful of a Christian am I truly being? Well, this evening, I want to talk about that very thing with this hope in mind that each of us will take a long look at ourselves Take this lesson and apply it to our lives. Now, before I go on any further, there may be some people in here, and I'm going to call you out if you're here. You may be looking to the left. You may be looking to the right. You may be looking behind you. But just for tonight, I would like for you to look right here in your heart. Don't think about anybody else. Don't think about any of your friends. Don't think about any of your in-laws or people you dislike in your family. I want you to think about yourself. My desire is for each of us to examine the behavior in which we exhibit from our day-to-day -day lives. And as you examine yourself, I want you to say to yourself, am I following the footsteps of Christ? If anyone was to follow your influence, if anyone was to do what you were doing, would it be for better or would it be for worse? Now, you just may discover 
while you've been measuring yourself from a short measuring stick. And that measuring stick is the local drunk or the, the promiscuous woman that you know. Or the gentleman who is not as faithful as he should be. He's been in and out of, of church his whole life. Maybe you've been measuring yourself by that measuring stick, which is very short. But I would like to suggest that you start measuring yourself from a different measuring stick. And that stick is Jesus the Christ. I think that if you start measuring your life based on the measuring stick of Jesus the Christ, we will fall pretty short. If you really think about it, ultimately, who we should be trying to become our whole lives, who we should be trying to be more like is Jesus the Christ. Because if not, then what, what is the reason? What is the point? If you're not trying to be more Christ-like, we say it all the time, and maybe we use it flippantly, but we should be more like Christ. Our goal, if, what is our end goal? My wife always asks me, what's the end goal? The end goal is to be more like Christ, pass that on as the example for my children and my children's children, be the light of the world so everyone can see how one should conduct themselves who claims to be a follower of Christ, and that's how we begin to make a difference. But if you don't do this, I pray that you will make the necessary changes this evening. I really do. Now, there are many scriptures that talk about good and bad influences. And so we're going to look at a few and we're going to kind of take a, a closer look at our, ourselves. So let's look at the good one. Let's look at one of the good scriptures that talk about the good and bad influences. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15 and verse, I mean, Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, in verse 16. We need to be letting our light shine. I mentioned it earlier. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify whom? Your Father in heaven, not glorify you, not put you on a pedestal, not give you all the debtor boys that you need to feel good about yourself, but the example in which you're setting by letting your light shine, being who you know you ought to be. God gets the glory because of it. So the question remains, are we doing this, saints? Are we letting our light shine? Are you a bright example or are you a dimmed example? And we have to be honest with ourselves because if it is a dim example, then you make the necessary changes. If your light is shining very bright, then your goal ought to be to shine even brighter. You know, I, I think about it. You know, some people who think that their light is shining really bright and when you get together and maybe you may have a meeting or get together at lunch or sit down at, at your job at work. And when you come in the room, uh, people's faces and conversation begin to change. As soon as you step through the door, start whispering. Oh, here he comes. Here he comes again. Is that a good example? Or are they glad that you even left the room? What is your example? What are you setting? And again, there may be some that is sitting here that's looking to the left, that's looking to the right and saying that surely he's not talking about me. I, I'm, a, I'm a bright example. I, I'm doing everything that I need to do. 
But you will discover that there are some other scriptures that talk about good and bad examples. So let's look at a bad one in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. I don't want us to think about anybody else as we go through this lesson. Let's think about ourselves. Because you may look at it and say, well, maybe I am a bad example. Maybe you can be honest with yourself and say, maybe I have not been setting the correct example. And the, the verse says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I want this to stick with our young people more so uh, than our older. But unfortunately, many of us underestimate our examples. A lot of times we believe that the things that we do, the decisions that we make only affect us. Oh, that's that's just me. And again, I used to be like that. That has nothing to do with you. The decisions I make only affect me. But that's not true. The decision and the influence in which you have affects more than just you. People think that this is not true. No matter who they've been around and who's around them, they cannot influence me. But the Bible clearly states that bad company corrupts that great and good character. You ever been around some people and family members and and, and they have little sayings and things that they may say? Because don't act like when the Budweiser commercial came out, was that you wasn't saying, was You were. Because of the influence and the way that they flood the market with these same things. But if you spend time with people who have useless conversation, if you spend time with people who use profanity, every other word, if you spend time with people who do bad things, eventually they will convince you otherwise. Christians should be very concerned how we conduct ourselves. We should be setting the example and not be the example. See, the first reaction to something or someone when they do something that you don't like that rubs you the wrong way is to roll your eyes. You might need to check yourself. Or your temper flares up. And then I think about our parents. We're talking to the young people, but what about our parents? What about the influences in the home? A lot of times, you know, we think about what our children are doing and why is my son acting this way? Why is my son so disrespectful? Why is my daughter skipping school? Why are they so lazy? Why are they lying? Why are they stealing? Why are they using drugs? Well, what examples have we set for our children? Have they been the dim examples that I'm talking about? When you're having a conversation and you're talking to your husband or your significant other, meaning your wife... And you say in front of the kids, oh, your mama gets on my nerves. Oh, I can't stand your father. Oh, and roll your eyes. And then you wonder when your child says it to daddy or your child says it to mommy or to the teacher. Or do they catch you saying when the phone rings and you pick up and they say, I don't know who the phone company here, but Georgia Power or things like that. And you say, Shh, mommy, daddy's not here. Hang up the phone. Where do you think they get the lying from? Your children get older. They understand that you're cheating on your taxes. 
Where do you think they get the lies from? When you're watching a game and you have friends over that are using profanity and doing these certain things and watching certain programs that, that they ought not be watching, but yet you are watching it and they act these things out, where do you think they get these examples? Paul understood this concept in two different places in Corinthians. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. There's no greater sound than the, the pages of the Bible turning. If you could just hear it from my perspective, it's a beautiful sound. Not to mention you all did, did such a wonderful job singing. I, I felt so edified. You all just keep that up. I wanted to come up here and I was enthused about preaching. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14, the Bible says, I do not write these things to shame you. No different than me standing here preaching the gospel. I'm not here to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. I have something that I must tell you, something that I need for you to hear. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Not LeBron James, not Peyton Manning. He says, imitate me. Not any of these multi-million dollar moguls or not any of these people that are in the industry that are rapping, that are singing. He says, imitate me. Look like me. Walk like me. Talk like me. Love like me. Worship like me. Give yourself away like me. But yet we have many of our children who want to be like everything and anything else but Christ. They want to imitate everything else but Christ. When was the last time we said to our children, son, you did such a good job. The way that you were so nice to this person or that young lady, that was just like Christ. Motivating them to be more like him. Oh, the way you pray. Oh, or, or the way you read or how you answer questions and you show them different biblical uh, people who are strong and who are powerful and who did what they're supposed to do so that they could be more like Christ. We try to mold our children. There's nothing wrong by anything. I'm not advocating that they can't be scientists. We need those that they can't be doctors. We need those. But we also need more men and women to be more like Christ, especially those who are Christians, those of like faith. We can't just call ourselves Christians, but not trying to be more like Christ. That makes as much sense as a horse wearing a wristwatch where he has to be nowhere. Makes any sense? No. First Corinthians 11, verse one. It says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul told the Philippians and the Thessalonians the same thing in his letter to them. He wanted them to follow his example, not because he was such a great man. Not because of his willingness to say that I'll, I'll do whatever I can because I knew what type of man I used to be. Or understand the mistakes that I've made. Yes, we all have made mistakes. Yes, we all have done some things that we shouldn't have done. But I'm not trying to be more like Paul than I am trying to be more like Christ. 
I'm not trying to be so much more like my father than I am trying to be like my father, which is in heaven. I'm trying to be more like Christ, imitate Christ. Why? Because what type of church will there be if every member were like me? Where is the future of the church if we're acting like the world? Our children have to do this. See, I won't live long. Unfortunately, I will die someday and my son will grow up. What am I teaching him? What am I teaching him to be more like? What are we teaching our children to be more like? The future is in their hands. And if I want the future in the hands of people in the world, then I might as well go in the world. But I want young men and young women who love Christ enough to want to be like him in every single fashion of the word. If every member were like me, church, what kind of church would there be? And this type of question should open our eyes. What kind of Christian are you? What type of man or woman of God are you? Ask yourself. And we have to be honest. What kind of Christian am I? Am I okay Christian? I'm a sometime Christian? Am I the one who shows up and just keep house type of Christian? I do my due diligence, I come, hey, I sing, I take communion, I give, I say a few hellos, how you doing sister, it's good to see you, hey, amen, brother, you look good, like your tie, oh, I love your hair, all right, I'll see you Sunday evening and do the same thing and then you go out into the world, you don't evangelize, you don't tell anybody about the gospel, you don't go visit those who hadn't been here in a while, you haven't picked up the phone and talked to anybody who needs to be talking to, you don't hold them accountable, you don't hold yourself accountable, you don't pray with your children, they don't see you praying. Do you see where I'm going? We have to be imitating Christ because what kind of church will there be if every member were like me? Let me tell you something. I promise you, if you don't discover that you need improvement, all the church will continue to to go through the struggles that it's already going through. See, the world is already winning because they're imitating the world. Why is the denominational church being so 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 filled with with, with people? Because well, it's imitating the world, and people want the world. But what they want to do is say, well, I feel like I'm being more like Christ while I'm in the world. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen that way. So we need to make sure that we're improving. So the question is, if, if every member were like me, and I won't hold you long, I, I, I really, really did uh, uh, promise that I would only preach for two hours tonight. So I'm, y'all got to wake up. I'm telling y'all got to wake up because if I'm up here for two hours, you're going to be mad. All right. The next question is, if every member were like me, what time would I arrive to services? So if every member were like like you and I, what time would they get here? Would they be on time every time or would they be late every time? Now, I understand some things happen. I get it. Uh, Those of us, I have young children, so I get it. You have accidents. Sometimes the car doesn't work. Sometimes you run into some traffic. Things happen. But not every Sunday. Not every single Sunday you're late to services. And then you have to ask yourself then, what kind of reverence am I showing to God if I'm late every service? Because there's some things that you can do. You can iron your clothes the night before. You can prepare to leave at least 20 to 30 minutes earlier than you normally do. And maybe that means you have to go to bed early. You don't get to stay up late to watch some of uh, the Alabama-Auburn game or, yeah, I know. We got some Auburn and some Alabama fans in here. 
But you stay up late watching those things instead of saying what matters to me most. Because I'm going to tell you something. We prepare for everything else. We prepare for vacations. We prepare for weddings. We prepare for for baby showers. We prepare for uh, uh, retirement. But when was the last time you made preparation for your soul destination? This is where the preparation begins. Right here. Not in front of your television, not with your feet kicked up because you're tired, been out all night doing all sorts of things. And church is the last thing. God gets the last of you. When will we understand and stop giving man our best and giving God our leftovers? We won't come to church on time, but I can rest assured you at work on time. Children are at school on time and not late for Bible school or, or Bible class. They're on time. And we need to make those very types of preparations. Being late constantly shows a lack of reverence. Shows a lack of reverence for God. And it also shows a lack of respect for your brothers and sisters. When that door opens up in the middle of service. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm sorry. And baby's crying. I'm sorry. Automatically heads are turning. You got some people after you've been late. I guess six Sundays in a row. They start whispering. There they go again. They're late again. Looking around. Oh, yep, that's her. Focus is off automatically. We have to start showing God more respect than we show man. You wouldn't dare show up at work late. You know you got to get the check. You know you got to keep the lights on. You know you got to take care of your family. You understand the priorities in a secular sense. But where are your priorities concerning your soul salvation? And as I said earlier, your soul destination. Now, David looked forward to being in the house of the Lord. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 63 and verse 1. He loved God. He wanted to know everything there was to know about God. You know, I think this is the same attitude we should have. Man, I can't wait to go to church. Man, I got two tickets to sit on a 50-yard line at the Alabama Auburn game. Well, wait a minute. God woke me up this morning in my right mind with a roof over my head, clothes on my back. My children are healthy and I have an opportunity to get a front row seat to hear his word and I'm not excited about that. Oh, we need to do some checking right here. If I had some Alabama and some Auburn tickets and I told you they was free, I'd be scared to get out this door without getting beat up before you got the tickets. But here's a card inviting individuals to come to a gospel meeting. Eh, 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 I don't know. I try to make it out. You know, I'll give it a shot. We see some pig skin thrown around. We can't hear the word of God being preached. We're not willing to sit down enough. And some people can't hold their eyes open long enough. I know I ain't been preaching that long, but some people can't even get through 30 minutes. Oh, I'm so tired. I used to ask myself, you know, I was so worried about the response that I would get from the individuals in the crowd if I, if I didn't do this or I didn't speak articulate enough or these fears that I have. Because I want you to know that, that I have fear as I stand up here, but I don't fear 
giving my best. See, right now, I, I may look calm, but right here, you ever seen a duck on water? How you look? Look calm. He's just floating. But under, his feet going like this. That's my heart. That's my heart. But it matters more to me to do this than anything else. So let me keep going. He says in Psalm 63, verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. You know, we got to get to the ball game early. We got to get to school early. But early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because of your kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. His kindness is better than life. His grace, his mercy, his willingness to love you when you didn't even love yourself. Psalms 122 and verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. I was excited about it. I was jumping for joy. I meant what I said when some of you all said, I'm happy to see you. And I'm, I, I, just, I wasn't just saying it just to say it. No, I'm excited about being here. I get to preach the gospel. I get an opportunity to fellowship with brothers and sisters of the same like mind. I'm excited to be here. I got a little bit of sleep. But I got a whole lot to eat. <laughs> I'm trying not to pop right now. But you know what? Instead of us rushing around, barely making it on time, and we ought to prepare beforehand. So again, I want you to ask yourself, if every member were like me, what time would they arrive to services? My next question is related to one we just looked at. If every member were like me, how often would they come to services? Because well, some of us can be on time when we come. But now the next question is, how often do you come? See, if we would have worship service every Sunday morning and night, we would have Bible class Sunday morning and Wednesday night. But if it was up to you, how often would we have Sunday services? If it was up to you, would it be just Sunday morning and no Sunday evening? How, how often would we have Wednesday night Bible study? Every once in a while, once a month. Because, well, you know, it's, it's the middle of the week. It's, as they call it, home day Wednesday. I'm tired. I get the kids together. I've been at work all day. And then I got to come in here. And then I got to listen to Brother Huddle do a class. Or he got to do, oh, again? Oh, no, not again. Or whoever teaches class, again? We got to sing that song again? Brother such and such is singing again? Again? See how that sounds? Again? Imagine how it sounds to God. Again? It's awful. To have that type of attitude towards our Lord and Savior. It's not even asking for a lot. If you, if you do the math, it's not a lot of time that we spend here worshiping Him. We spend all day outside cutting the grass, washing the car, doing your honey-do list. The honey-want list. We can do that all day long. And come in here and have to sit at least an hour and 30 minutes, maybe two hours all together. And it's the worst thing ever to try to bring people here, drag them in. 
Why do I choose to neglect the assembly of God when I can go? Ask yourself that. Why do I choose to neglect it? I can go. Nothing's wrong, but I can go. Why would you want to miss out on your opportunity to hear more about God's word? Ask yourself this. What if you got to heaven? You know, we, we understand, but just hypothetically, just keep an open mind. And he asked you a Bible question. And all you needed was to answer a simple Bible question. And you get there and he asks you a simple Bible question. And he says something, and he, he says, well, name a book of the Bible. You say, well, all right, I like the book uh, Job. Job is a good book. I like Job. Who? Job. I had one. No Job. Joe. <laughs> and now you can't get into heaven. Something as simple as that. And I think about it. What if Christ was to come and sit in services? He just came right in and just sat down. Would you come all the time if you knew that he could just possibly pop up at, at, at your church? Well, let me tell you something. If, if this is just, hopefully this is an eye-opener. That will happen. There will come a time where Christ will return. And what will he catch you doing? On a Sunday? On a Wednesday? Oh, and Tuesday counts too because you're a Christian every day of the week. Not just on Wednesday and not just on Sunday. So if you had an opportunity, would you choose to come or would you neglect it? And again, I think this is just another bad habit that we've gotten into. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. We come here to be exhorted. And so much more as you see the day approaching. You see, you see in the day approaching meaning that, you know, it's, it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. You got to get security to come to church. You got to have police officers going around the church because people are in our day and time are shooting up people who want to worship God. We don't even want to spend time with our brothers and sisters. We put things in perspective. Let's look at this. All is being asked of us. Look at these numbers. Three hours on Sunday, and maybe an hour or 30 minutes or more on Wednesday. And out of 168 hours in a week, we only have to find four hours or four and a half hours to worship God and to study about Him. Four. And people complain about coming to church. Many of us don't find it hard to find four hours to do something around the house that doesn't even matter. Four hours. Stay outside in the yard, four hours. Sit up and watch a television program. Some of us have been watched all types of things on Netflix longer than four hours, and we can't come, and we're not motivated, and we're not excited about worshiping God. 
I said I wasn't going to be long, so let me finish up. My final question this evening is if every member were like me, how often would they study the Bible? And how much would they know? If every member were like me, how often would they study the Bible and how much would they know? Would they study it daily? Would they study it several times a week? Or would they only study it a few times a year? You know, some of us have Bibles at our houses that that hadn't even been opened up. They're they're like coasters. Just set your cup on it. It looks good when people come. You know, some of us, you know, when I was younger, I had friends whose houses I'd go over and and mom was coming by and she was a Christian and the Bible was tucked somewhere, thrown somewhere, dust was on. They try to break it out and put it on the table to act like they read it, open it up to a certain page and act like it's been read. There's no different. But anyway, let me say, say this. There's, there was a movie a while back uh, called The Book of Eli. And I don't know if some of you have seen it. Maybe you have and, and maybe you haven't. But to sum it up, the world had been going through war and turmoil. And there was only one copy of the Bible that was left. And this particular Bible was in the mind of this character, Eli. He had memorized it from cover to cover. And there was this guy who wanted to take the Bible and use it for evil and try to convince people. It kind of sounds like today. Take the Bible and convince people and try to use it for their own. Sounds more like denominationalism. I have the word of God and the Bible says this, but let me put a spin on it and scare you and use this verse and skip all of the middle and it's give you the end. It's kind of what he wanted to do. And yet they were after Eli. And he was just trying to make it to a safe haven, a place where people wanted to know about the word so that it could be reproduced. But he had it in his mind. See, eventually the man caught up with Eli, stabbed him up, messed him up really bad. Eventually he died, but he was messed up really bad and he stole the Bible. And he was like, oh, I got it now. I'm going to take this here and I'm going to make it and I'm going to make some money and I'm going to be the most powerful person in the world because I have this Bible, this book with the word in it. And he didn't realize that when he opened up the book, it was in Braille. He couldn't read it. It was in Braille. Eli the whole time was blind. And he was reading the Bible in Braille. But he didn't need the Bible. It was part of a decoy. The whole time, he knew the Bible from cover to cover. So if all the Bibles were destroyed, and it was up to you to reproduce it, how many scriptures could you quote? How many books of the Bible will be missing if it was up to you? I have to ask ourselves this. Oh, and I'm not advocating that anybody needs to be able to know or repeat the Bible from cover to cover, but that ought to be a goal. It ought to be a mission that I want to know more. I want to be more like Christ. I think in this area, many Christians are failing. They just don't study. And maybe they just don't have the confidence that they could teach someone. But I believe that you can believe you have the confidence, you have the wherewithal, you have the ability. If you just study and if you just look, you could teach someone. You're just learning a verse a day or every other day, but put forth the effort. God will be pleased with this. Second Timothy chapter two and verse 15. Many of us know this verse, but it says in second Timothy chapter two and verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, not unto man, but unto God. This is pleasing. I work for you. I love you. I'm about your business. I'm about producing, making and bearing fruit. 
A workman that needed not to be ashamed. I'm not ashamed of this. Maybe some of us are ashamed to be called Christians. Maybe we're ashamed that we can't be around our friends and just say it like it is. Man, I don't want to do that. I'm not into that. I'm a child of God. And if you don't like it, keep it moving. I'll just start hanging out and finding people who want to be more like Christ just as I want to be. First Peter chapter three and verse 15. <clears throat> trying to hurry it up here. <clears throat> In first Peter chapter three and verse 15, the Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with me and fear. I just want y'all to know that this commandment is not limited to deacons or limited to elders, limited to preachers. It's for all of us. It is something that we all are capable of doing. And I want to encourage you that you can. What would the church look like if every member were like you? If every member were like me? 2 Peter three eighteen. but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I like Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, God's word is powerful. We learn how to have salvation. We, we learn how to act. It's the blueprint of our lives. The biblical in, in instructions, I think we probably heard that before for the acronym for Bible, biblical in, instructions before leaving earth. It's true. I think the problem, though, is, is many of us are like the fathers of today. You know how we like to put stuff together, but we don't like to read the instructions. Just go out there and throw stuff around and put it together. And then you see his parts and pieces laying all in, in the yard and not put together properly. But that's how some of us treat the word of God. That's how some of us treat our soul salvation. We just we do a little bit here, a little bit there. And, I, you know, I kind of wing it. We should value our souls. We put value and stock in everything else. And it's amazing how people miss the value of their soul. Last verse, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. And this is why it's important for us to know and read the word. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Where do you come to get the knowledge? Where do you find the knowledge? In the Word of God. Where do you come to learn more about the knowledge and what God requires? When you gather together with the saints, where do you come to find out if you're right or you're wrong? Or you take a certain position in certain things? Well, what does the Bible have to say on the matter? The reason why it happens is because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. This is important. See, the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. This is what's happening today, saints. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. 
and it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. John 12, 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. I don't know about you, but I know what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. And I hope that you understand the importance of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So, now that we've went through that, and if you were keeping score, what does your scorecard look like now? How do you look with that measuring stick now that I've, I've asked you a few questions about if every member were like you? thought like you, walked like you, talked like you, what kind of church would there be? What would that church look like? What would the preaching be like? How often would you meet? How, or how often would you come to services? What time would you arrive to services? What would the church look like if you were in it and everyone was like you? Our standard and our measuring stick saints is Jesus the Christ. Not the person sitting next to you, not your neighbor down the street, that doesn't know anything about anything, can't pronounce half of the books in the Bible, let alone know who Noah is or Abraham. Lincoln? That was a joke, but that's okay. That's okay. Listen, I know this question can make some of us uncomfortable, but I think, some, I think at some point in time we need to be uncomfortable in it when it comes to being obedient to God's word. Knowing the importance of, of our soul. Knowing where we stand when it comes to serving God. This is important. This is not something that we should take lightly. But I think we need to test our own faithfulness. I think it's important because it is necessary. Because it will help us grow. It will help you grow if you, if you look at yourself and, and be honest. That I have not done everything that I needed to, go, to do. And again, I, I leave you with this question. If every member were like me, if every single person, and I'm not just talking about here at Oak Mountain, I'm talking about every church of Christ. If every person was just like you, what would the universal church look like? And if there are some things you need to change, and if you're like, ah, that church wouldn't be that good. There'd be some changes that need to be made. And if that's so, then let's make the necessary changes tonight. What are you waiting for? You know, some may be waiting for another person. You know, some are waiting for some type of tragedy to happen before they'll say, you know what, I'm ready to obey the gospel now. I've lost everything, I have nothing left, and now I'm ready. Some are waiting on old age. After I've had my fun, I've lived my life, now I'm ready to turn it over to you, God, now that I'm about 150 years old and I cannot be any way useful to you. Don't wait. Now is the time, not tomorrow. As a matter of fact, if you had these issues, yesterday was the time. So if you're here this evening and you are a Christian, 
What are you waiting for to make those necessary changes? So that every member, if they were like you, the church would be on fire for the Lord. We would be growing by leaps and bounds. And if you have not, then you got to change it. And if you are here and you're not a Christian, you haven't obeyed the gospel, I'm telling you, you're missing out. I've been working out and been trying to get myself together, been trying to eat right and go over to Planet Fitness. And, you know, they sign you up with the membership and you feel like if somebody got your little card, you walk in and go beep beep. And you feel good. Yeah, yeah, I'm a member. I work out here. But it should feel good to be a member of the Lord's church. And when you walk in here to be around people of like mind, you're like, yeah, I'm a member here. I'm a member of the Lord's church. Why? Because I heard the gospel being preached. And when I heard it being preached, I understood in my heart and it was pricked that my life did not reflect that of a Christian or the life that Christ lived on his earthly ministry. And I want that. I need that. And because of that, I had to say to myself, I repented in my heart. And then I said, I'll make a public confession that I believe that Jesus Christ came and he died for me. Yet I was still in my sin. Not that I did anything to deserve it, but yet he did it for me. I was rotten, a scoundrel. I was terrible. And yet he loved me so. And I understood that. And I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And I know why he died for me. And I placed, I put on my my life on in Christ and baptism. I went down in a watery grave. I died to myself. That old person no longer lives. I rose up a new Christian. I was ready to serve him so that if every member were like me, it will be the type of church that Christ wanted it to be. So if you're here tonight and you're subject to the invitation, please come now. Together we stand and sing.